0: few months back, um, I believe it was uh, Lindsay who sent me um, a little video on uh, WhatsApp, um, which I was actually sorely tempted to uh, show you this morning, but it 's a wee bit on the long side, and uh, I have no wish to incur the wrath of the crash and bible class uh, <coughs> leaders so you 're just going to have to make do with my uh, little summary of this video. The video featured uh, a rather scruffly, certainly very casually dressed guy who was messing around with a football in a pedestrian zone of uh, an unnamed city. And his attempts uh, at interacting with passers-by met with very limited success. Most people just ignored him, including, I must admit, made me really laugh when he asked one rather striking-looking girl for her phone number, and she sort of bid him farewell. Eventually, a young boy takes an interest, and the guy passes him the ball, before then showing him some of his soccer skills. He then picks up the ball. He signs it and then he removes his beanie. He takes off a wig. He takes off a false mustache and a false beard, revealing his identity as none other than CR7. for the uninitiated CR7, is none other than Cristiano Ronaldo. And the look on the boy's face is just absolutely priceless. And suddenly, everyone who is passing by wants to stop and to speak to Ronaldo. And I'm certain that that boy will never forget the feeling of excitement and joy when he discovered who it was that he had actually been playing with and talking to. I should say, this was when Ronaldo was popular, you know. (laughs) And that sets the scene for today's encounter with Christ in the Gospel of Luke, which is actually the last one in the series. For this morning, we're going to meet two people who didn't realize the identity of their mystery travel companion until he revealed himself to them. So we're in the very last chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick up our reading at verse 13. Now that same day, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road And opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them, told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Today's story then is another for which we are indebted to Dr. Luke for this story is unique to Luke's gospel record. And obviously it takes place in the context of confusion uh, generated by reports emerging of the empty tomb. Some of Jesus' female followers have claimed that two men... (coughs) i.e. two angels, told them that Jesus had risen. But their account was basically dismissed by the disciples. Apparently not the first time that uh, men haven't listened to a group of women. Peter had also gone to see the tomb for himself. And Peter's baffled by what has happened. And the two persons in our story have heard these reports for they were in Jerusalem at the time and are now making their way back home to their village of Emmaus. Now we don't know really very much about these two. One was called Cleopas, but the other is unnamed. Some have speculated that you know, it very possibly was, you know, Cleopas' wife. Although we might have expected Luke to say so, because Luke, of all the gospel writers, gives a much higher profile to women. We might also observe that according to the text, a mass was 60 stadia, or approximately 7 miles from Jerusalem. So it would take at least two hours to make this journey By foot. And incidentally, the modern whereabouts of a mess is unknown, so it won't feature feature on your tour of the Holy Land. Naturally enough, the conversation is dominated by a single topic all that has happened in Jerusalem in recent days, the crucifixion of Jesus, and these perplexing stories about the empty tomb. Evidently, these two aren't inclined to believe that anything good has happened, for we're told that when the stranger draws alongside them and inquires as to what they're discussing, their faces were downcast. They confess to their shock at how out of the loop is their traveling companion? Are you the only one living in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? It's almost as if they ask, what planet are you from? Which might actually have brought an interesting reply. (laughs) But Jesus plays dumb. What things? About Jesus of Nazareth, dummy talk about staring truth in the face. However, just like Mary Magdalene in the garden, and later on, Jesus' disciples on the lake, they fail to recognize him. There then follows what Michael Wilcock labels as the gospel according to Cleopas. Jesus is acknowledged as a prophet, powerful in word and deed, who was betrayed by the nation's rulers, handed over by them to the Romans, and sentenced to death. But it's now three days since his crucifixion, and we're being told that the tomb is empty, his body gone, and some women have claimed that angels told them that he's alive. Now, you might be forgiven for thinking, Well, why are you so downcast then? What are you so depressed about? But that's because we have the vantage point of knowing the final outcome of the story. They didn't. Indeed, it's evident that they hadn't yet grasped the reality of Jesus's resurrection. They were clearly disillusioned by Jesus's death. For as verse 21 tells us, they had hoped, that he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. But no, he had been rejected and put to death at the request of the nation's own religious and civil rulers. And even though there were these reports of him being alive, and while some others had corroborated the women's story of the tomb being empty, him they did not see. Again, the irony isn't lost on us. The one they were telling all of this to was the subject of all that they were informing him of. And it certainly puts my Cristiano Ronaldo story in the shade. Jesus then issues something of a rebuke to his traveling partners. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And whilst our English text makes it seem a bit harsher, the words of Jesus there, a bit harsher than what it really was, we can agree with Leon Morris that Jesus wasn't exactly being complimentary in his remarks. He then proceeds to engage them in a walk-as-you-talk Bible study. John Blanchard comments that this must have been the greatest Old Testament exposition in history given to a congregation of two. Carefully and systematically, Jesus works his way through the scriptures showing how the promised Messiah had first to suffer before he would enter his glory. This, of course, was the very thing that the Jewish people struggled with. Yes, the Messiah would come and he would conquer and liberate and reign, but not that he would suffer and die. And yet passages like Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and Zechariah 12, nobody's done it yet, suggested otherwise. And no doubt it was texts like these that Jesus referenced in his Emmaus dialogue. Jesus' companions are evidently enjoying the lesson. For they prevail upon him to remain with them at their journey's end. And it is when they sit at the table to enjoy a fellowship meal that something remarkable happens. Jesus Rather than his hosts. Says grace. And breaks the bread. And in the act of distributing it. Suddenly they recognize him. For who he is. The very one. Whom they have been talking about. Both in terms of the recent events. At Jerusalem. And of course the focus. Of their scripture tutorial. Miraculously. Miraculously. Jesus disappears from their sight. And immediately, and despite the lateness of the hour, which would have meant that they had nothing but moonlight to guide their steps, they make a return journey the two hours back to Jerusalem. And no doubt bursting into the room where the 11 disciples and others are gathered, eager to inform them of their dramatic experience, They discover that their role is going to be one of confirmation, not revelation. For the Lord has already appeared unto Peter. The disciples had been wrong to disbelieve the original account of the women. All was not lost. Jesus was alive after all. And the two pile in with their account of what had happened to them. Israel's Redeemer had indeed risen from the dead. There are at least five lessons which emerge from this morning's final encounter. The final encounter in this series. The first one is this. The real danger of having Christianity without Christ The danger of having Christianity without Christ. In our story, the two men, or was it a man and a woman, were very much caught up in religious things. Almost certainly they would have been, the reason why they were in Jerusalem was because it was the Passover season. And they were consumed by the events that had just occurred surrounding Jesus' death. And now, as they make their way home to Emmaus, they were joined by Jesus, the subject of their conversation, but they failed to recognize him. We don't know exactly why so. We're just simply told that they were kept from recognizing him, verse 16. But I think we can legitimately stretch their failure to recognize Jesus, to what can or could happen to ourselves. Of course, we all know we can become so consumed by the everyday affairs of life that we lose sight of Jesus. But I'm thinking more here about those of us who can become so busy with church life that we can lose sight of the one in whose name our service is being carried out. We start to operate so much by routine, by self-generated energy and even creativity, such that Jesus is effectively shunted to the margin. And what has happened is that religion has supplanted faith and dependence on Christ. We have our religion, we have church, but we actually end up with relatively little of Christ himself. So we need to take care to ensure that Jesus is kept front and center of all that we do. Lesson number two, the scriptures find their unity in Jesus. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself, verse 27. Jesus holds the key to unlocking the scriptures to a true understanding of the Bible. The scriptures center upon Jesus. The Old Testament points Forward to him. The law, the sacrifices, all the various types, the messianic psalms, wisdom literature, the prophecies all point forward to Christ and have their fulfillment in him and particularly in his cross. And the New Testament looks back to the cross and to how Jesus' death and resurrection has impacted God's program of redemption for a lost world. There is a unifying thread running right throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And as we were thinking about this morning, it's actually, it's a red thread, a red thread, red for blood. And it goes through the islet of the cross. And of course, we'll be hearing more about this in our sessions with Paul Coulter. So get them in your diary. How sad it is that some accept the Old Testament or parts of the Old Testament, but not the New Testament, like our Jewish and Muslim friends. And how sad... That some perceive in the Old Testament just a series of morality tales. The Old Testament was never meant to be the end point of God's written revelation to man. The scriptures are a cohesive whole and they set out the totality of God's written revelation of his plan for the salvation of sinners through the death of his precious son. So the scriptures have their fulfillment in Jesus. Lesson number three, the primacy of the word of God, the primacy of the word of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus directed the conversation to the scriptures, to the word of God? And note its impact upon these two individuals. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It is as we read, as we listen to, as we digest the word of God that we hear the voice of God. And if we know God in a personal way, That will stir our heart. How vital then that we are regularly exposed to scripture. How vital that we read scripture for ourselves. How vital that we come together as a fellowship of God's people to hear the scriptures being taught and to study the scriptures together. Neglect your private times of reading. Neglect corporate times of the teaching of God's word. And I promise you that your heart will grow cold. Number four, the reality of Jesus's bodily resurrection. If you take the Bible seriously then this encounter that we've been reading about here blows out of the water the idea that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, that the disciples stole the body or some other nonsensical explanation. And this was clearly no hallucination on the part of two of Jesus' disciples. Neither can it be credibly maintained that this was merely a spiritual resurrection, something that was confined to Jesus' disciples' minds and hearts. This was the appearing of a living person in a real, if resurrection, body. A body that could walk alongside and sit down at a meal and break bread with these two, but could also disappear instantly from their sight. A glorified body. And the New Testament of course claims that there were many other resurrection appearances of Jesus to Mary, to Peter, to the apostles, to Paul and on one occasion to more than 500 men. And you can't have 500 men having an hallucination by the way. The fact is the bodily resurrection of our Lord is well attested by historical evidence. And of course, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ has been the thing that has brought some um, leading sceptics and cynics even to faith in Christ. Final lesson. Jesus will eternally bear the marks of his sacrifice. Jesus will eternally bear the marks of his sacrifice. We can be confident, I think, in asserting that eternity is going to provide us with a visual reminder of the debt that you and I owe to our Lord Jesus Christ, the debt that we've been thinking about this morning. And I love Patrick's phrase there about um, Jesus taking our debt into his account. Many commentators have drawn attention to how the two disciples recognized Jesus when he broke bread. Verse 35. Was it that they saw his nail-pierced hands? After all, when Jesus sought to convince uh, doubting Thomas that he was no apparition, did he not bid him to look at his hands and then place his own hand in Jesus' side? And then we have the vision given to us in the book of Revelation of the throne room of heaven in which there was a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The marks of Jesus' sacrifice are surely eternal. They are found even on his resurrection glorified body. And how fitting it is that we'll be forever reminded that everything that we possess in glory is the result of his supreme sacrifice when he was brutally put to death on account of bearing the guilt of your sin and mine. Eternity is not going to erase from our consciousness the debt that we owe to Jesus Christ, the slain but resurrected Lamb of God. And so we have reached the end of this series on encountering Christ in Luke. I'll allow you to shed a few moments to shed some tears that it's at an end. Perhaps tears of joy. But it is my prayer that as we have journeyed our way through Luke's gospel, looking at Jesus' encounter with various people, we will have experienced our own personal encounters with Christ. And that as a result, our love for him will have grown. To him be all the glory and honor. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.